I find a pink while-you-were-out message in my mailbox. Who would call me at LaGuardia? I read it, and my mind seems to flip like a person falling downstairs. It stated yesterday at 5 a.m. with no numbers given. Your wife and son called. Please call back ASAP. I lean against the soda machine. I'm not sure I can move. Is all this cruelty a simple test of wills? An effort to fracture me physically, mentally, spiritually? At 5 a.m.? My OCD, which has served me so well in this tower, haunts me every time I touch my phone. I can't not try once more. And then the failed call reinforces my desire to try again. And the misery grows. But to call me at work? I'm still not sure I can move, yet it's time. Once again, I have to separate my current abduction reality from the reality of talking to airplanes. The shift starts, and I'm seated next to Stephanie. I work departures off runway 13. She works arrivals onto runway 22. It's a typical busy summer afternoon at La Garbage, and growing busier hourly. I see traffic already stacked up over Westchester. I will myself to forget the pink message for now and focus on runway 13. Once, at a Cohen family barbecue, her cousin asked why La Garbage even has a runway 13. Isn't that bad luck? Why don't they just repaint it runway 14? I popped open a beer. Where to begin? First, I explained, over at JFK, there are actually two runway 13s, 13 left and 13 right. Second, in aviation, numbers are simplified and zeros often dropped in large measure to make communications easier to transmit, particularly during a crisis. Therefore, runway 13 is actually shortened from runway 130. Third, runway 13 is actually 130 because it's 130 degrees on a magnetic compass heading. In the opposite direction, the same patch of concrete is a separate runway, heading numbered runway 31, short for 310, because 310 minus 130 equals 180 degrees, see? Fourth, numbered runway headings are dictated by many factors, but primarily it's often the prevailing winds, which facilitate takeoffs and landings. In North America, Westerly winds actually make runways 13 to 31, and their particular corollaries, runways 4 to 22, quite common. I swigged my beer and thought I translated aviation geek speak into American English rather well. I still say it's bad luck, the cousin spits out. Bad luck or not, today I'm launching departures from all measly 7,000 feet of runway 13, out over Flushing Bay and City Field and into the wild blue yonder. My job now is to eject metal tubes hurtling down runway 13 towards the Mets dugout, while Stephanie alternately accepts metal tubes onto runway 22 inbound from the Bronx. Of course, 220 minus 130 equals perfectly perpendicular 90 degrees, the configuration of nearly every traffic corner. 
In other words, Stephanie waves hers through on the green while I hold mine up, and once one of hers clears the intersection, I quickly wave another through while she ensures nothing comes in too quickly. Decades ago, my grandfather was on the job as a traffic cop, and his primary post was directing vehicles from a pedestal in Columbus Circle. In theory, his grandson's career is not wildly different. Stephanie smiles as I settle in and attempt to focus. About a month ago, she ran into me in the employee lot as I was finishing my shift and asked if I was headed to court. I was somewhat startled. Has my life devolved into a punchline? And I said, no, not always. Then last week in the elevator, she mentioned growing up in a large Greek family, just blocks from LaGuardia. So naturally, I asked, Astoria? And she said, nope, Corona. It was her idea of a joke, albeit one only employed by natives who know Astoria is the Athens of New York City. Opa, I told her. United Express 4457, clear to land, runway 22, I hear her say. United 4457, clear to land. I speak. Frontier 38, hold short, runway 13. Frontier 38, holding short, 13. Smoke quickly dissipates as United's wheels touch runway, and I watch, watch, until now, clearing the intersection. Frontier 38, clear for runway 13, sir. Frontier 38, departing 13, thanks. And so it goes. I swig a Pepsi, even though Archie at Ring of Fire wouldn't be happy. She would have me drink water and hack at a truck tire with a sledgehammer in preparation for meeting Hugo Concepcion, mano a mano, and fisto a fisto. American 785, hold short, sir. I can't not think about Israel. My phone is off. There's no way I'm going to screw around up here. Actually, I found my sharpness has been compromised lately, though it's hard to identify why. The FAA has even cleared Prozac, officially fluoxetine, for pilots. So it's not the meds clouding my brain. It's that empty house in Israel. Southwest 422, clear for departure, runway 13, ma'am. Thanks. We'll see ya. It's a beautiful day. What aviation types refer to as clear, blue, and 22, although New York City's smog doesn't allow visibility of 22 miles, even from this height. And Stephanie's arrivals are handed to her from approach control only about 10 miles out. But we've got a great view of all those toy metal tubes. I watch and watch. American Eagle 7742, hold short runway 13. And here it comes. That punch in the chest hits me in bed, in the shower, behind the wheel, up here. Ben. I miss him so much. That feeling just slams into me at times. But the worst of it, worst of all, I wonder, does he miss me? When does he cross over so the obsession of wanting to speak to his daddy lessens rather than intensifies? Four weeks? Five? Ten? When do I fade the way Southwest 422 is fading over the world's fairgrounds? God damn, at 5 a.m., I breathe deep. 
Now Wayne, working ground control, calls out from across the tower. Mike, ground traffic. But, I say calmly, voices are seldom raised here. A construction vehicle attempted to quickly cross runway 13 at Taxiway Sierra, but obviously wasn't quick enough. For some reason, the truck has stopped on the active runway, perhaps searching for loose debris. I update my metal tube, a Bombardier CRJ-700. United Express 4439er, gonna need you to hold there, sir. Ground traffic ahead of you. I'll re-advise. United 4439, okay, LaGuardia. One player has stepped on a teammate's foot, so now our rhythm is completely thrown off. Stephanie and I exchange glances and nods. We're middle infielders, silently assessing runners on base and a dangerous hitter at the plate. Her last arrival is on the deck, but mine can't proceed. So we'll skip a rotation for me, and she'll clear two arrivals in a row, since my United Express 4439 still can't depart yet. We communicate all this without saying a word. Stephanie talks to her guy. Delta 559er, clear to land, runway 22. Delta 559er, roger that, LaGuardia. I'm watching the construction truck that hasn't moved, and I know Wayne is asking the Port Authority about it. I can only hurry up and wait, as we used to say in the military, and waiting isn't good for me these days. Waiting means my mind returns repeatedly and repeatedly to that four-year-old boy I haven't spoken to in so long. And that call, not to my cell phone, but to the LaGuardia Tower, at 5 a.m. What's the expiration date on a parent? What week should I circle on my calendar when I'll be forgotten? Port says they found metal scrap, Wayne says. They're moving. And sure enough, I can see the truck completely clear runway 13 and safely edge past the perimeter. My runway is free from debris, and so I will myself to forget the 5 a.m. call and the little boy and return to matters at hand. United Express 4439er, clear for departure, runway 13, sir. United 4439, departing 13, thanks. A second or two pass. Now there were muted voices, and for one bizarre nanosecond, I think it's Ben's voice, at long last, finally calling me. In fact, my name is being called. But it's not Ben. It's a feminine voice. Mike! Stephanie barks. Christ! For the first time in my career, I'm slow to respond, which in our line of work means another fraction of a second passes. And United 4439 is into its takeoff role. She correctly ignores me and speaks to her aircraft. Delta 559 or need you to go around, sir. Traffic ahead of you. There's no response from Delta 559, which I can see is a Boeing 737 almost returned to Earth. Stephanie won't relent. Delta 559 or go around. Ground traffic at your 12 o'clock. I somehow see now what I didn't see before, which is the entire panorama. I've cleared United Express 4439, and it's on full takeoff roll on this short runway, 
applying power and rumbling right toward the intersection of runway 22, the same runway where Delta 559 is about to touch down, just to the port side of my airplane. What we all know up here is the lack of a response from Delta 559 doesn't mean they didn't hear Stephanie. It actually could be a good sign. They're too busy enacting established procedures uh, to chatter with ATC. In this instant, we just don't know yet. Now, she's imploring, Delta 559-er, go around, sir. Fuck, someone says. Oh, God. Even through the thick glass of the tower, we can hear the high-pitched whine of the 737's engines as the Delta crew guns it. They've certainly heard Stephanie. Christaimo! I hear her murmur. Others are speaking, but I don't know what they're saying. I've never felt so sickened in my entire life. And even now, at the apex of this drama, part of my brain registers that this sickening feeling even surpasses the sickening feeling I had opening that letter from Israel weeks ago. United Express 4439, the bombardier I gave the green light, is plunging down runway 13 and crossing runway 22 now, with no hope of breaking, even if the crew was aware enough to attempt it. Meanwhile, the 737's engines whine, and we watch and watch Delta 559, and finally the nose lifts, and just before it settles onto runway 22, it surges upward in the classic go-around maneuver. Up! Delta 559 clears runway 13, just as the United Express tail clears the intersection. Smoke billows from both 737 engines as the plane rises abruptly, appropriately enough shaking the very windows we're looking through, and I can see gear retracting and flaps extending. Now both aircraft ascend from LaGuardia simultaneously, and for a moment they resemble a fireworks formation as they take to the skies in sync on either side of us one veering left over Flushing, and the other veering right over East Elmhurst. A few lucky drivers on the Grand Central Parkway are viewing an unscheduled air show. As it so often does, terror unintentionally generates beauty. There are voices too loud for a control tower now, and more people here than necessary. In all my years as a controller, I've never heard panic at this volume. I quickly turn and see Bob M. approaching. One of the managers, an older guy named Andy, already has parked himself at my elbow. Mike, let me slide in, Andy says. I remain seated, composing my thoughts. I just need... I'm holding departures, Wayne calls out. Now Bob M. stands beside me, speaking evenly and coolly. Mullen, get up. Let Andy in. Go wait in my office. I'll let Andy in, Bob M. repeats. The ultimate time out. For the first time in my life, I relinquish my post upon the direct order of a supervisor, and I stand awkwardly and move towards Stephanie to let Andy take command. Now she looks directly at me, and although it's no more than a second, it's a look I've never received from a peer. It's not disgust, and it's not even anger. It's a mix of pity 
and shame. She turns away quickly and continues speaking to Delta 559, which is on an emergency loop right over my alma mater, Archbishop McCarthy Memorial High School. And now we all hear the captain of Delta 559. What the hell, LaGuardia? Somebody's got his head up his ass down there. Stephanie's soothing voice calms him through a deviated route, while another controller assumes command of her conga line of arrivals. A supervisor hovers. Everything slides into place smoothly and automatically, just as it's supposed to, just as we've all been trained. My office. Bob M. says. I turn, but in the wrong direction, and I'm moving away from the stairs, not toward them. To an untrained eye, I probably appear drunk. I've seen it with others before, so I'm aware on some level I'm suffering from very mild shock. But I know it's nothing like the shock felt in that Delta cockpit. As for United Express, Chances are that most on board have no idea how closely fate just breathed so hotly on them. I'm suddenly conscious of that which I ignore every day. The latch on the small gate at the top of the stairs. The security camera broadcasting who is ascending from below. The frayed floor tiles as I stumble. From across the tower, a union rep calls out, Mike, don't say a word. Wait for counsel. Counsel, I think. Lawyers, attorneys, barristers. Could there possibly be room for more counsel in my life? I exhale deeply, grab the empty Pepsi, and leave the tower. As I wait for Bob M., I recall that cousin of hers. Maybe runway 13 is bad luck. I'm meeting Hillary, though there's little to discuss, since we have no idea which continent or high sea my son is on right now. We strategize, but until the 30-day window expires and the arrest warrant is issued, there isn't much to say or do. On another note, I mention I may soon be fired by the FAA for gross misconduct endangering scores of lives. Hillary gasps. Then she suggests we do everything not to allow the other side to learn of this development. As we talk, I redial the number in Israel. No answer. It's been a week since the day of the near miss. Still no news from Israel or any other country harboring my son. Meantime, I'm the highest paid admin in the FAA's eastern region, changing printer toner. Of course, Soon, I may not be paid at all. I deserve whatever I get. When Bob M. closed the door, I assumed I'd be in his office for at least an hour. Instead, I was on my feet and gone within three minutes. It was as if he'd already prepared his speech, and perhaps he had. Effective immediately, I'm on modified assignment pending further investigation. Undoubtedly, there'll be a hearing and I should seek advice and counsel from the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. I'm not to ascend to the tower under any circumstances, under penalty of immediate dismissal. A supervisor is waiting to administer a breathalyzer and urinalysis. Finally, I should leave immediately after that and take the rest of the day. Before long, I was pressing the down button on the elevator. Within minutes of reaching the employee lot, 
my phone rang. Mo remains active in the NATCA, and the LaGuardia Union team was alerted. Our conversation was awkward. What could I possibly say? Mo urged me to get some rest, and I mumbled something. Through the windshield, I craned to see the top of the tower. I knew by now Delta 559 had completed its go-round maneuver and landed safely, and so the captain was calling Delta's dispatch office in Atlanta, his airline pilot's association rep, and maybe even Bob M. Free from Federal Communications Commission prohibitions, the captain would rip up the wireless lines the way he wanted to, but didn't from the cockpit. Just who was the fucking numbnuts who almost had us T-boned? Is he going to wipe the shit stains off the cockpit seats? Is he fucking fired yet? In the old days, pilots sometimes waited outside the tower elevators, hoping to settle such situations with fisticuffs. I also know some airline crew scheduling offices post this. What's the similarity between air traffic controllers and pilots? If a pilot screws up, the pilot dies. If ATC screws up, the pilot dies. Then my phone rang again. It was Sam who had befriended Mo at Ben's party. Bad news spreads fast in NATCA. Dude! Yep. Anything I can do. I stared at the base of the tower. You mean like Superman? Screw around with the axis of the earth? Turn back time? Well, I was thinking more like coming to Queens buying you a brewski. I sighed. You're the best, man. Really. But I'm going home, assuming I remember to stop at the red lights. Sam's voice lowered. Go easy on yourself. So you shit the bed. It happens. Not like this. Clear, blue, and 22. No excuses. No excuses, including that pink message from 5 a.m. Instead of going home, I found myself at my mother's place, where I immediately did two things. Called Israel, no answer, and googled LaGuardia near miss using the past 24 hours function. No hits. I explained to my mother exactly what happened and used terms her father the traffic cop would clearly understand. My partner allowed an airplane to land on a runway that formed a cross with another runway, and I, oh so wrongly, allowed a second plane to take off on the other runway just as the first plane was landing to cross the intersection. When I mentioned it could lead to termination, her face turned ashen, and she said she'd light a candle. Subsequently, I told and retold this story to others, mostly civilians. Those outside aviation were quite forgiving and granted me absolution. You were momentarily confused by that construction truck. Who wouldn't be? Air traffic controllers, that's who. Professionals. My job is to handle dozens of distractions, night or day, in all weather and visibility, without ever endangering lives or property. So now I'm the SWAT team leader who shot the hostage, the surgeon who left the clamp near the aorta, the judge who freed the serial killer. I keep googling, and so far, no news. Masochistically, I logged on and looked up the particulars of Delta 559 and United Express 4439. 
I wanted not passenger manifests, but FAA records, detailing what the industry terms SOBs, souls on board, meaning everyone strapped into those tubes, crew members, revenue passengers, infants, airline employees, FAA jumpsuit riders, everyone. There were 121 SOBs on Delta 559 and 37 SOBs on United 4439, including an infant traveling, quite dangerously as I always warn others and never did with men, as a lap child. There also was a dog in the 737 belly. So, 158 souls, or 159 if dogs go to heaven. After I got home, I sat in Ben's room, staring at his Buzz Lightyear poster and gently rocking. Among the side effects I was warned about when starting Prozac were prolonged directions, no joke, and something termed abnormal dreams. At first I questioned what these might be, but now I know. Ever since the letter from Israel, my sleep has been haunted by Ben's cries. Where are you, Daddy? Now Ben's been joined by others. Offhand, I can't say exactly how many voices cry out with him, but I'd estimate about 159. Jesus fucking Christ! Paco blurts out when I describe the near miss. He lamely jokes about a new merger between Delta and United, but even he knows we've somehow moved past postmodernist irony. We're poking at the embers of pure pain, and sharp tongues have little sway now. What's worse is my Googling finally generated a hit. Yesterday, some aviation geek posted a blog item. Maybe he heard the audio of Stephanie's pleas on liveatc.net. Or maybe he got a tip from a pissed-off Delta pilot or backstabbing LGA controller. All I know is, today the Daily News and the Post both carried items about the recent near-miss. Though thankfully, not on the front pages. There used to be an unofficial tabloid rule. If a screw-up made the cover, the controller was transferred. I'm not mentioned by name, but it's all about me. So now the same two newspapers that praised my father's heroics have dubbed his son the Tower Sleeper. I find I have two great fears now. One fear is soon I'll forget a voice, the voice of my own son. That thought fills me with terror. The second fear, that I'll never forget another voice. What the hell, LaGuardia? Somebody's got his head up his ass down there. And all of a sudden, the entire drama screeches to a halt, as if the projectionist dozed off and the film ran right off the reel as the screen darkened. Hillary emails me, this time it's not a bluff. The attached letter verifies her firm will cease working on behalf of Michael Patrick Mullen if payments in arrears are not satisfied immediately. The unspoken part of this is, what if I'm fired and unemployed as well? How can I continue paying lawyers? How will the courts view an out-of-work father? Somehow, in hopping from crisis to crisis, I will myself to stay focused on the most immediate crisis. It's a particularly dark 72 hours in a summer that's all about darkness. 
My family huddles, Katie and my mother supervising the discussions. Kevin has expensive possessions, but very little cash flow at the moment due to a pending and complex deal in Malaysia. Finally, Tommy says he has an idea. A few hours later, my phone rings, and it's Tommy's partner, Terry. As he identifies himself, I realize we've never spoken by phone. Terry speaks softly and bluntly, telling me of the father he hasn't seen since sixth grade. Apparently, the old man departed for the left coast and forgot to send for his wife and kids. I'm not sure what to say, so I just murmur. Ben Terry quietly tells me that Moltark Construction is co-signing my personal loan at Citibank. At first, the woman on the phone hesitates when I reference the abduction. You mean this isn't to buy a deck or a swimming pool? No, it's to buy a child. After it's approved, I ask her to expedite payment, and she does. As soon as the FedEx arrives, I rush into Manhattan to the Citibank branch near Hillary's office. I present a Citibank teller with a Citibank check for $50,000, and she taps away. I ask it to be deposited as cash so I can draw a certified check for $40,000. She shakes her head. It will take five business days to clear. But it's from Citibank, I point out. Yes, but it takes five days. But look at that address. Citibank Personal Loans, Clayton, Missouri. See? Another head shake. But it's the left arm and the right. It's one office of Citibank speaking to another. I understand that, sir. But it requires... <sighs> there truly isn't enough Prozac in the world. A man looking far too young to be management interrupts. Sir, would you join me? I follow him and recap the scenario. Look, I plead, I need this. Right now. It's to pay lawyers in a custody case. My son's been abducted. If my lawyers stop working, I go silent. The manager nods sympathetically, but the five-day rule is inviolable. Finally, my begging brokers a compromise. I ask him to pick up his phone right now while I'm here and please call Hillary and explain the check truly has been deposited. He agrees and after a moment hands me the phone. The movie resumes. Sleep won't come, so first I call Israel and then I boot up my laptop. Within minutes, I'm googling images of plane crash victims. I wake up starved and make my way to the kitchen. Slim fast and Prozac, breakfast of champions. Look out, Hugo Concepcion. You'll be stepping into a squared circle filled with rage. Soon I'll be at work where my modified assignments consist of filing old incident reports, though none of these incidents are as dramatic as my own.